Welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Gramnai and Chris Dominic. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. I can't believe you're starting an episode laughing. That's never happened before. It's so bad. Um, it's just a thing. Okay. Good to see you, Chris. Today, we are going to talk. Um, we've got Yobel on the line. Yobel Novian Putra, who comes to us from Bandung in Indonesia, and he's the Climate and Clean Energy Campaign Associate for Gaia Asia Pacific. And we are talking about all things plastic waste, zero waste, uh, why incineration is a disaster, and how we're going to get out of here alive. No pressure. We've got 30 minutes ready, set, go. <laughs> it's great to have you on, Yobel. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hey, I've got my, my first question is a little bit redundant with um, something that has come up once before, but I think it bears repeating because it doesn't get come up, at least for our American audience, very much. What are the arguments against incineration and you're specific about no burn. Like, for example, in Japanese households, there's two bins. There's burnable and non-burnable. Their argument is they can filter out the bad stuff. But in America, it's a rural thing. Like, if you don't live in the big cities, you're probably burning something at some point. And you think that's just the way it is. And I'm not sure if people think about much of the harms that occur with that. So take us away, Yobel. Yeah, so I'll start with the money talks, uh, which really being discussed. So it doesn't make sense when you um, get a technology from countries with higher GDP, if that's the one indicator you're using, and then using it here where we doesn't even have budget to do proper segregation and collection. So you ended up uh, having a lot of um, loan, debts, and then the municipal municipalities struggle to pay the fee to the contractor so that's one of the biggest issue. And mm. in the terms of energy, well, waste to energy is a waste of energy and money because it's actually the most expensive way to both treat waste and um, generate electricity. Oh, wow. And um, on the environment side, when we are comparing that, for example, uh, for coal power plant, uh, uh, compare it with the amount of electricity generated per tons of waste uh, managed, and we see the uh, carbon emissions then um, incinerator is way more carbon intensive compared to coal. So from that angle only, it already shows like, oh, this is not the technology we need in this context of climate crisis and also maybe debt crisis in some countries and financial uh, challenges globally. Got it. So the, yeah. the dumbish question then is, what, so what's actually the answer? So burning is not good. Um, you've, so if you think about the global south or Indonesia specifically, you're in Bandung. Like, what's the what's the dream scenario? Your bell wakes up tomorrow, and what's there? Well, wakes up tomorrow, have a good cup of coffee without plastic sachet. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I don't I don't understand why people love uh, you know coffee in sachet. But anyway, um, for the dream is to have a world where you don't have to waste things and waste people. Because here, when you talk about um, waste, it's actually waste speakers, waste workers who, again, are not paid sufficiently, trained and equipped um, to deal with these many different, sometimes toxic and sometimes also dangerous, sometimes infectious, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, instead of, you know, putting our money efforts into that, you know, people well-being, getting a good cut of, you know, coffee without sachet, the money goes to the incinerator. So we should stop all of this stuff 
because we know it's not good for the climate, environment, and people. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that in the, in your context, the environmental issue is the social issue. That's you know, like it's all combined together. Um, you know, in Australia yeah. here, our recycling program just collapsed. So the two big supermarkets were collecting plastic bags through a company called Red Cycle. When China stopped taking um, recyclables from overseas a few years ago, this company just quietly started warehousing plastic bags. And it's a huge fire <laughs> issue. Hot Australian summers, great barbecue. Oh, the steaks. Mwah. But that, that, that whole system just collapsed a few weeks ago. So here you've got a country that's been soil separating at a household level for 30 years and well-funded and they still can't get it right. So I think the idea of hoping and praying that recycling will come into Indonesia and and, uh, and solve the problem is unlikely, which leads me to my next question. But Chris is going to have a question first because he looked at me with those death well, I, I just, okay, I this sounds like one of those things like where you tell your teenage kid like to clean up and they push everything into the into the the closet and then you go into the room and you're like how nice job and they go don't look in the closet <laughs> you pretty much nailed it chris you've just described the whole waste industry <laughs> so is there like some warehouse in sydney where if i go in yeah. there there is a mountain of plastic yeah, bags seriously there's about eight of them and this company's in big trouble <laughs> oh, god. oh my god <laughs> Um, oh, people will be leaving town soon. I know. I think. Speaking That's, of recycling yeah. and magical thinking, and we are going to get to the whole discussion around the Unilever Creosolve sachet story because it's just amazing. But as I was getting ready for this episode, Bloomberg Green's December 2022 article on the Alliance to End Plastic Waste was fascinating. Now, I don't know. Did you read that, Yobel? Mm, I'm not sure. That's okay. So the Alliance to End Plastic Waste looks like a very altruistic group of companies that are have got $2.5 billion to um, solve the plastic waste problem, particularly in Indonesia. And as they went through it, it's actually the American Chemistry Council rebadged and all the members are the big polluters. And it's not $2.5 billion, it's $170 million and it's entirely for recycling efforts. So it's quite terrifyingly disingenuous. (laughs) Basically what they're saying is we'll back any technology that cleans up our mess. And the quote from one of them is, don't go near our production, just focus on the downstream recycling, because that, in that way, we're not to blame. That's what a whistleblower oh, said. That's interesting. Oh. So, so, okay, so wait a minute. The, it's not actually $2.5 billion. All right. So the trick, oh, the, the that, trick is, it's really devious. It's the overarching, it's $2.5 billion. $170 million is set aside for them to make grants or invest in recycling technology designed to clean up their mess. The rest of the money, which is like another eight hundred million, is sort of like if I'm a company like Unilever, and we'll get into it. If Unilever spends a hundred million dollars on a campaign to clean stuff up, and it's a profit-making thing or whatever, that sort of gets tagged as, "Oh, you're part of the alliance to end plastic waste." It's like, no, you're not. So anyway, it's uh, it's greenwashing. Okay, so yeah. so this fund's solely focused on setting up plastic recycling yeah. in Indonesia, though. So Yobel, is is that the answer? Is that what we should be doing? Well, definitely not. I mean, I might sound disappointed, but I am. So um, there is this, um, you say it like Unilever, right? They are trying to make this sachet recycling stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a technology that is actually a pilot technology. So imagine uh, you're pouring, they they have poured 10 million euro, just a lot. And that 10 million euro is to deal with sachet. 
just a very small amount. They only have the capacity like um, a few tons per day. Uh, put it in an area which is far away from capitals, mm. uh, the capital city. And then um, you say like, okay, this is the way we were going to do it. And then we ask the waste speaker. We have waste bank here, which is informal yeah. sector that gather things and then send it. Uh, and okay, I'll we'll we'll pay you to collect sachet. But then it doesn't make sense logistically when you're a businessman and okay, uh, our selling price is per ton uh, or per kilogram. But one sachet is, is one. only like zero point zero. <laughs> so yeah, Bill, can I stop you for just, just real quick, real quick? I got it yeah. for for the Americans. Sachet. Yeah, and help me out. And your bell before you get into it. What is it? As the dumb foreigner, we went to in Jakarta. You go past these stores, and there's like a string of sachets of like coffee, and you just tear a sachet off. So you're buying coffee by the serve, or tear off Milo, the greatest chocolate beverage ever, or you tear off a cup of soup. So they have these single serve everything, like single serve for oh, your for your clothes. It's a convenience thing. Well, no, it's also a price point thing. So, you know, Indonesia's in the global south. They're a developing country. So you, you don't buy a big jar of instant coffee. You, you know, you've, you've got this alternative with sachets. Is that about right, Yobel? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's, it's both convenient, but also uh, they say, like, we are making the sachet small packaging units um, to make it affordable for uh, people who doesn't have good, in, good income. So I'm getting the downside to this is that there's an unnecessary amount of packaging, which means now it's an enormous environmental disaster. Right. Yeah. So with the okay, with, got it. With the Creosolve Unilever story, that's that's chemical recycling or mechanical recycling, or is it a bit of both, or is it just a myth? <laughs> well, uh, we we say that it's a myth, right? Because when we look, uh, we, so we we have an investigation process. Um, two years back, and then what we found out is that the factory is no longer there. Uh, when we ask why, there is no obvious answer from Unilever. But then we ask the waste bank who cooperates with them. They say like, yeah, they didn't pick up our sachet anymore. So the sachets are piling up on their warehouse. Oh. Some actually need to burn it because they are out of uh, you know um, out oh. of space. And the worst thing is that uh, they have been like training um, neighborhoods peoples to segregate, you know, mm. their waste, including sachet, like a separate bin. And it's difficult to stop people doing that because they already have expectation. Oh, we're separating sachet, we get some money. So uh, they yeah. ended up continuing the sachet collection and then the waste bank have nowhere to send oh, it because the factory apparently has been closed and we, we have no idea where the machine goes, but it's no longer there. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Ten, so 10 million euros. I can't do the conversion. Is 10 million euros, 10 million US dollars? I can't remember. It's closer than it used to be. Yeah. So was that five? It used to be two to one, but right. I think it's getting closer to one to one. So was that a few years yeah. ago, Yo, Bill? How, how many years was it operating? Do we know? Well, um, they started claiming like, hey, we have this grand program uh, of chemical recycling for sachet back in 2017. Um, they started to announce it. But then we don't see anything for a few years. They say, like, we are piloting, we're trying technology. And then they operate for at least a year. That's what we know. Because the waste bank has that one-year uh, period collecting sachet, and they sell it. Um, and they actually um, sell it, uh, like, twice. Like, they send it to a shredding company, 
and then from the starting company uh, to another facility, which is uh, where the mission belongs. Wow. 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 So wait, how did you guys figure this out? That's that, that's crazy. That's top secret. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You guys are you guys are operating like uh, like investigative uh, heroes or something. That's incredible. Yeah, we, we work with our uh, allies and partners and members, um, and we gather uh, information from here and there because it's really difficult to ask to Unilever directly or people associated with them. So we need to be really go on the ground as people uh, who knows the story bits and pieces and try to connect it together. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, now, without getting anybody in trouble here, I'll just go around the edge of this, which is I'm going to guess that in Indonesia there's some laws against just shutting down a factory with a contract to do recycling. Or I mean, I might have that a little bit wrong, but I mean, like, what's going on there? Is there any is there any um, accountability that's possible here? Oh, so this is coming to the nasty part of the <laughs> yeah. things yeah. because because. Um, from Indonesia government's perspective, again, there is this colonialistic mentalism, at least from my perspective, like, oh, Unilever and someone from um, developed countries is going to send us a machine um, and it's a pilot project. So let's just skip all the permit process so we don't have the environmental impact assessment documents. Oh. Um, it's really difficult to find it. And they said, like, yeah, yeah, they are doing it as a part for a better future, which makes sense from the research point of view. But then when you're selling it and say like, yeah, we're investing how many million? Like 10 million <laughs> euro? That doesn't make sense at all. Oh, wow. That, that is, is amazing. Well, so this bigger issue, just because that's amazing, but it, it also highlights this issue that's come up a lot uh, on this program, which is the, the role of greenwashing. And we've there's been a lot of stories about greenwashing events. Like this looks like it's um, there's this problem solving that we're seeing, or this looks like a great new move from this company. But when you look a little deeper, which you clearly have, Yobel, uh, you'll find, oh, actually, uh, there's a lot of people out there that aren't really acting in good faith in this area. So greenwashing, is, is there anything that in, we, what are we going to do about it? <laughs> it's just it, there's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of discussion about about what it is and 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 basically unearthing these basically cons or schemes or fronts. Maybe or I'm I'm, th I'm trying to think of a nicer word. I keep coming. I, I spend too much time in litigation. So, uh, but is there some sort of prescription for how greenwashing can be less of and that you people can be less incentivized to greenwash or or, or anything? Yobel. So I, I hate uh, people making new terms every day, you know, <laughs> and yeah. greenwashing is one of them. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, um, greenwashing is more like hiding the truth, but then mostly is hiding the real problems. So the way they do it, um, there are many things, but for corporations, uh, fast-moving consumer goods like Unilever, uh, they tend to sell the idea of goals. So I think Unilever has a goal um, for plastic, they say like, well, we're rethinking plastic and by 2025, we'll have, we'll half the amount of virgin plastic we use. We collect and process more plastic packaging that we sell and we will have 25% recycled plastic in our packaging, things like that. But then what's the goal is, um, trying to solve? Like this goal is answering to what problem, right? Because once you, um, try to solve a problem that does not exist, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
what's the point of having a goal? So uh, that's that's one thing. But then the other is when they have a, we already have a good goal. Usually the government has ambitious goal or we have something in the bill or draft bill. Um, what happened is they try to delay, distract or derail whatever good goals is there. So mm. these two combination is either they're making their own goal or try to do this 3D, derail, detract, uh, you know, distract and the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's, yeah. Whoa. Um, yeah, God, yeah. And I suppose it's interesting being having having been in Indonesia and realizing it's it's a 24-year-old country in some ways. I mean, that 1999 election, it's a young country growing like in, hugely. And as you described, I think before we jumped on, the state of Jakarta as a city, it's just this booming metropolis that has lots of challenges, pollution and other things. Um, it's, it's, Indonesian is, is in this moment where it could, if it had, uh, if it, if it could, it could kind of avoid the mistakes of the global north in a way. Like the last thing you really want is to just build a whole bunch of landfills and sort of do exactly what the West has done. Um, do you see that as you look at this? There's this great opportunity, but there's some headwinds. Yeah, we, we should do leapfrogging. That's the, oh, the, yeah. the concept of leapfrogging, yeah. right? Uh, but it's not from the technology perspective. What we need to learn is from the mistakes and the problem. Um, so again, technology is very context specific, like uh, some technology works with a lot of money, but we don't have it. So um, we need to look at what were the fault, like incinerator in the US there, they have some problems, right? Um, funding it, uh, environmental protection and, and giving people um, like information of what the thing is it. And then um, the other stuff for me is really to in a way, um, have a meaningful process with people mm. um, on what are happening in the other part of the world. I mean, people here doesn't know that incinerator is banned in Europe now, starting this mm. year, they don't fund incinerator anymore. And there are new bills, I think in New Zealand, they have brilliant, um, you know, um, environmental legislations. But then what we know is not uh, those good stuff. It's in a way, it's a, a distracted and yeah. also a biased perspective, mm. including this technology stuff. It's interesting yeah. that ban on incinerators in the EU, when we were at the G20 in Bali, we heard the story of all the incinerator manufacturers in the EU are just sending sales teams to Indonesia because that's a great place to sell an incinerator. Like, it's really quite dystopian, like, oh, my God. So it's... Super challenging. And I think, you know, your build Indonesia, you've got a plastic, marine plastic waste issue, particularly you've got the biggest coastline of any country in the world with, is it 50,000 islands? Like it's incredibly, and, and the other really frustrating thing is plastic waste generated not by Indonesia washes up on your shores. And then you've got this whole plastic waste importation and watching that movie Palau Plastic with, um, with, um, uh, oh, what was his name? I've forgotten his name. Ari Sandy. Um, anyway, the Priggy. Sorry, Priggy. Just I was watching that film while I was in Indonesia, just realizing the complexity and the the attempts to export waste into Indonesia and how they get around it. They give they give them the green mark so they don't even check the contents of the container because they say it's clean recycling. It's paper, but inside the paper, it's mixed with plastic. And then Chris, they take the plastic out and they burn it and they make um, tofu. It's crazy. It's yeah. mental. It's like this is wow. unbelievable. 
off to the Hague, everyone gets fined, executions in the street. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. But it's, it is extraordinary wow. um, what's happening, uh, which is incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, with the G20, we had um, Joko Widodo up on stage saying lots of things. We had Minister Lahoot, who I think is the Minister for the, for the Maritime and Investment. They've now got to go to India, who's hosting the G20 in nine months' time, with some pronouncements. They must be able to go there and say these things have happened. And one of the things that Indonesia did was added the Oceans 20 to the B20, which is the Business 20. Um, do you feel, your bell like are you optimistic, pessimistic, or in the middle as we start 2023? Oh, man. <laughs> You've just answered the question. Thank you. Um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. All that's, right. That's how I feel. Right. Basically, that's how I feel. But then in terms of the way I think, um, I think the driver for environmentalism and all other activism should be uh, love. Like, because we love the people uh, that we have. We love the environment. We love the earth. Um, so fear is a part. But then the driver should be love. Because if you driven by fear, like, I'm, I'm, I have to speak fear of, uh, you know, crisis and then... Um, livelihood, yeah, it's it could be a good start, uh, a good driver, a good trigger. But that what sustain um, is love and then hope. Right, that's my good. God, that's beautiful. That is really really good. That might be the, that might be the nicest moment that we've ever had on any of our shows ever. Because it's very so. easy to get very very down on this whole stuff, but love and hope will should get us there. I hope. Um, well, it's I mean. It it's a who can argue with that? Yeah, I know exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just that's wonderful. No, exactly. Um, sorry, you you were going you were going somewhere. One, one, just quickly, so January is zero waste month, and and I'm curious right. to know what can our listeners do? How can we get involved? What do we what what's the best thing we can do if we're in Australia or Portland or should we fly to Bali? What are we going to do? So there's a lot of things happening. Uh, so January is. Uh, a space for us to celebrate whatever story of zero waste that we're making in our respective places. So uh, you can see our Instagram, our social media, or YouTube, and then uh, chime in. We have Zero Waste Festival. We have a lot of movie to watch together, and we have a website, a dedicated website for that. So just join in, and then um, you can also post picture. We have a review single use day. Uh, post your picture, uh, hashtag Zero Waste Man, and then uh, send your message to the world, like what we want, here is uh, how we do it, and then show that zero waste is easier together. Got it. Okay. Yobo, we've got something we got to hit you with, okay? We ask people what myth they'd like to debunk on our show. What do you think a lot of people think is true that your experience is, yeah, that's just not true? Help us out. Wow. All right. I think that composting is difficult. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Give me because a little more I, on I, that. Yeah. Because I did this composting stuff and my family doesn't believe in composting. Like, what are you making here? You're making things more difficult. And everyone on my circle is like, yeah, what are you doing? You're making stuff more difficult, life more difficult. And then I prove it. So I did from, you know, freezing um, my, like, food scrap into a jar and then put it in the freezer and bring it somewhere else to my office. Oh, that's like wow. your first step. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so it can be done that way. And then the other way was uh, to really just let them dry. Uh, so I just uh, sun dry them and then uh, compost it eventually. So this process are a creative process in a way and there's a lot of funny story behind it. So it's easy, it's fun. <laughs> that's so good. 
It's it is and it's awesome. That That's is awesome. great. That is very good. Well, thank you so much, Hubel. It was really good talking with you. And uh I think uh this is really food for thought. I mean it's there's a there's probably I unfortunately a lot more uh situations out there that are like the ones you've uncovered. Uh, but it's awesome the work that you and your group have done. Yeah. It's really, really yeah. impressive. Thanks so much for your time today, Yobel. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jason. See you guys. Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time.